Hello, everyone, and welcome to the April 3rd edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd, Skarn and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. Another hotly contested challenge by an injured worker of the constitutionality of the UR-IMR process was rejected by the Court of Appeal. Here's what happened in the published case of Ramirez versus the WCAB. Daniel Ramirez sustained an injury to his lower leg and ankle in the course of his job as an office assistant for the State Department of Health Care Services. Ramirez settled his case by stipulations providing him with further medical treatment for the injury. His physician requested authorization for another 12 sessions of acupuncture. But Utilization Review recommended that the requested treatment be denied. Ramirez appealed the denial under the independent medical review process, but IMR upheld the UR decision. So Ramirez appealed the decision of the independent medical review to the WCAB. He claimed that the independent medical reviewer may have been subject to a conflict of interest and the determination may have been the result of bias, two of the grounds for which you can appeal an IMR. Ramirez wanted to do discovery to determine whether the doctor performing the IMR was biased or had such a conflict of interest. He also raised constitutional challenges regarding the UR-IMR process as a whole, which were beyond the jurisdiction of the WCAB to decide. So, the IMR appeal was taken off calendar pending resolution of the constitutional issues while Ramirez filed a petition for writ of review with the Court of Appeal. His constitutional challenges were rejected in the published case. The court concluded that the board had no jurisdiction to review a utilization review that was alleged to be defective for failure to follow the medical treatment utilization schedule. Whether the UR review followed the medical treatment utilization schedule is directly related to a determination of medical necessity. By statute, a review of a determination of medical necessity is limited to the medical professionals performing the IMR. On the constitutional challenges, the court affirmed the 2015 decision of Stevens v. WCAB on the constitutional issues. The Stevens Court concluded that California's process for reviewing workers' medical requests did not violate due process by failing to provide notice and a meaningful opportunity to be heard. Stevens also considered the argument made here by Mr. Ramos that the independent medical review process violates due process because the reviewer is anonymous. The court agreed with Stevens that The process in its entirety provides sufficient due process protections. The Court of Appeal limited the application of the statute of limitations to continuous trauma injury claims. Here's what happened in the published case of County of Riverside v. WCAB and Peter Silvies. Silvies was employed by the county as a deputy sheriff. He took a service retirement and then worked for the Palma Police Department on a reservation belonging to the Palma Band of Luceno Indians. He filed an application for adjudication of claim in July 2014, 
claiming a continuous trauma of hypertension, GERDs, left shoulder, low back, and both knees. The work comp judge found that pursuant to Labor Code Section 5500.5, his continuous trauma was limited to the last year of injurious exposure, even if it was with the Palma Tribal Police. The judge also found that Sylvie's hypertension and back injury were compensable and arose from employment with the county, and that his knee and left shoulder injuries, GERDs, and his sleep disorder were not AOECOE. Both parties requested reconsideration. After granting reconsideration, the WCAB found substantial medical evidence supporting an industrial injury to his left shoulder, bilateral knees, GERD, and sleep disorder, and reversed the take-nothing. With respect to the statute of limitations, the WCAB explained that the time within which to file a claim did not begin to run until a doctor told him the symptoms were industrially related. Since medical confirmation did not occur until 2013, his 2014 application was timely. The WCAB further found that Section 5500.5 is not a statute of limitations, but instead provides for a supplemental proceeding in which multiple defendants have an opportunity to apportion liability. Finally, it agreed with Sylvie's that Section 5500.5 cannot limit liability to the Palma Police Department in this case because the WCAB lacks jurisdiction over the tribe. The Court of Appeal granted review in the published case in order to provide better clarity regarding the application of 5500.5. It affirmed the WCAB decision after reconsideration limiting the liability of the defendants in a workers' compensation case under 5500.5 is not the same as prescribing the time within which a case can be filed. The court also rejected the county's suggestion that the WCAB violated Section 5500.5 when it found Salvi's claim to be timely. Section 5500.5 does not relate to the statute of limitations for filing an application. It simply provides that in the event that none of the employers during the last year are insured for workers' comp coverage or an approved alternative, liability shall be imposed on the last year of employment exposing the employee to the hazards of the occupational disease or cumulative injury for which an employer is insured. The WCB lacks jurisdiction to over federally recognized Indian tribes. The fact that the Palma Police Department is not subject to the WCAB's jurisdiction means the department was not insured for workers' compensation coverage or an approved alternative. Consequently, liability is imposed on the next employer in line that had workers' compensation insurance. In this case, that employer was the county. The Court of Appeal liberalized the firefighter presumption extension for a claim of industrially caused cancer. Here's what happened in the published case of Marinwood Community Services versus the WCAB. Pete Romo worked as a firefighter for three different fire departments. 
He was a volunteer firefighter for Marinwood from 1989 to 1991 and the San Antonio Volunteer Fire District in Sonoma County from 2002 to 2006. And then from 2006 through the day of trial of his WCAB case, he was employed full-time as a paid firefighter for the city of Mill Valley. While working for Mill Valley, Romo was diagnosed with prostate cancer. He filed a claim for workers' compensation benefits with each of the three fire departments for which he had worked. Both Mill Valley and San Antonio stipulated that the statutory presumption that cancer suffered while employed as a firefighter arising out of the employment would apply to them. But Marinwood contested the application of the presumption to their organization. The Marinwood Fire Department was established in the 1950s as an all-volunteer fire department. By the 1980s, it had a paid fire chief and two paid professional firefighters for each shift. At the time Romo was a volunteer firefighter there, Marinwood had a total of seven paid firefighters and 24 volunteers. The work comp judge concluded that Romo was an active volunteer firefighting member of Marinwood between 1989 and 1991 within the meaning of the labor code that he is entitled to the extension of the presumption under the code since he is within 120 months of the last date actually worked in the specified capacity. And the WCAB denied Marinwood's petition for reconsideration. The Court of Appeal affirmed the WCAB in the published case. Compensation statutes and generally exclude volunteers, but Section 3361 is a nuanced exception to this exclusion for each member registered as an active firefighting member of any regularly organized volunteer fire department. Marinwood claimed it was not a regularly organized volunteer fire department within the meaning of Section 3361 at the time of his employment with them. The Court of Appeal concluded that the language of volunteer fire department contained in 3361 was ambiguous in regard to whether it extends to a department composed predominantly but not exclusively of volunteers. So it concluded that the WCAB's interpretation was consistent with the purpose of the statutory scheme and liberal construction under 3202. Marinwood next claimed the WCAB misconstrued the presumption terms that it shall be extended to a member following termination of service for a period not to exceed 120 months, commencing with the last date actually worked in the specified capacity. Marinwood argued the extension should be applied separately to each employer for whom a firefighter worked as of the date employment ended with each one of them. The work comp judge and the WCAB, however, interpreted the language to mean the time starts as of the last day worked in the capacity of a firefighter for any of the employers. And the Court of Appeal agreed and concluded 
that the WCAB's interpretation of Section 3212.1 in this and other cases furthers the purposes of the cancer presumption. And we also had a case this week that narrowed the application of SB 863 limits on permanent disability for psychiatric claims. Russell Madsen worked as a truck driver for Michael J. Cavalletto Ranches when he was involved in a motor vehicle accident. He sustained an accepted industrial injury to his head, neck, shoulders, and nervous system. However, he also alleged injury to his psyche. Madison is claustrophobic, and he was pinned and crushed in the cab of his truck upside down for approximately 35 to 40 minutes. During that time, he could only take shallow breaths and was afraid that the truck would catch fire because the engine was still running and the truck had two full tanks of fuel. He had to be freed from the wreckage using the jaws of life. He described the event as horrific. A QME assigned him a GAF score of 58 and determined that 95% of his psychological impairment was caused by the accident and 5% to outside stressors. This was equivalent to 35% disability for the psychiatric component after application of the rating formula. His injury was, however, subject to Labor Code Section 4660LC, which limits the compensability of permanent disability resulting from certain physical injuries with exceptions, one of which was being the victim of a violent act. The work comp judge did not award applicant psychiatric disability after interpreting the phrase violent act as at least some volitional act set in force by a human being with something more than mere negligence. So the issue on reconsideration was whether applicant psychiatric permanent disability is rateable despite limitations on psychiatric disability caused by a physical injury. Applicant alleged that the motor vehicle accident constituted a violent act and also that his injury does not arise out of the physical injury but instead is directly caused by the accident itself and thus the limitation is not applicable in this case. The WCAB rescinded the work comp judge and awarded benefits for psychiatric impairment in the panel decision of Madsen versus Michael J. Cavalletto. It concluded that the labor code does not preclude increases in impairment ratings when the psych injury arises directly from the events of employment. The QME clearly found that the traumatic stress that resulted from applicant psychiatric disorder was the industrial accident itself and not the compensable physical injury. Thus, the preclusion of psychiatric impairment does not apply to this applicant's injury. Employers are typically aware of the penalties that can be imposed under Labor Code Section 132A for discriminating against an injured worker and take necessary measures to avoid the risks of such claims. But, in addition to the 132A risk, 
employers face discrimination claims under the Americans with Disabilities Act and the California equivalent known as the Fair Employment Housing Act. Digging deeper into the risks at a lower level is the garden variety wrongful termination claim. And a recent Los Angeles jury verdict serves as a grim reminder that legacy wrongful termination claims are alive and well. A Los Angeles jury found that the company Citizens of Humanity acted with malice, fraud, and oppression when they fired an employee who had suffered an industrial injury. 61-year-old No Abarca worked for the company as a quality-controlled inspector for six years when his doctor placed him on a work restriction due to a long-term shoulder injury sustained at work. The day the restriction ended, the company fired Mr. Abarca. The jury concluded that the director of human resources fraudulently stated on the workers' compensation form that citizens of humanity had first learned of the injury on the day of Mr. Abarca's termination. Damage is amounting to $650,000 were awarded, with $550,000 designated punitive damages. So, managing risks of liability arising out of employment law claims becomes a more complex task than ever. The Floyd, Scarn and Kelly Annual Employment Law Conference provides a great opportunity to learn more about these risks. More than 300 people are expected to attend the 7th Annual Employment Law Conference on April 28th at the Disneyland Hotel. For more information, visit our website at www.fskhrtraining.com. And now our crime report. A Riverside woman was arraigned on 52 felonies related to workers' compensation premium fraud that cost two insurance companies more than $540,000. 60-year-old Joanne Treloff is charged with making a false statement to reduce workers' compensation rates and failure to disclose necessary facts to her carriers. Treloff is the owner of Eclipse Recreational Vehicles, a manufacturer of toy haulers and travel trailers located in the city of Riverside. Treloff entered a not guilty plea to all 52 counts. She now has a felony settlement conference scheduled for June 7th at the Hall of Justice in Riverside. Two other people have been charged in this case, David Armando Torres of Ucaipa and Sylvia Leon of Duarte. Torres is the owner of Employer Support Group, a workers' compensation consulting firm located in Montclair, and Leon is an employee of that business. Torres and Leon have each been charged with 51 felonies, 50 counts of failure to disclose facts regarding insurance benefits, and one count of unlawful transaction of insurance business. It is alleged that Treloff misclassified an estimated 15 to 20 percent of the approximately 200 employees at Eclipse and failed to report more than 50 injuries over a four-year period. It is alleged that Tories and Leon, through their company, assisted Treloff. The alleged crimes resulted in more than $540,000 in losses to Everest National and Security National Insurance Companies. The case was investigated by the Inland Empire Premium Fraud 
Task Force. The owner of what the district attorney's office is calling a now-defunct landscaping company has been arrested and now faces felony charges for workers' compensation premium fraud. The DA alleges that 49-year-old Jorge Rojas Sanchez had numerous paid employees working for his company known as Tau Landscaping. The locally owned San Jose business did not come into question until one of its employees had cut off part of his finger with a saw. The cut was so severe that the employee needed surgery. Once at the hospital, medical staff found out that he did not have workers' compensation through his employment with this company. San Jose police on duty at the hospital were able to take a statement which led to a two-year investigation. It was soon discovered that Sanchez obtained workers' compensation insurance in 2012 under false pretenses. The insurance company estimates the loss in premiums totaled more than $30,000. Sanchez faces up to five years in jail if convicted and may be ordered to pay full restitution. And in regulatory news, the Occupational Safety and Health Appeals Board upheld safety violation citations issued to staffing firm Barrett Business Services after a 2011 carbon monoxide warehouse incident in Anaheim that sent eight temporary workers to the hospital. The workers contracted by Barrett Business Services to package fruits and nuts in L&L Foods Warehouse in Anaheim. They had complained to their supervisor for months prior to the injuries that they were experiencing headaches, nausea, and other health issues caused by forklifts operating in an enclosed area with poor ventilation. Neither the Ontario-based staffing company nor the host employer L&L Foods took any action. On the day of the incident, a forklift driver became ill and was hospitalized for carbon monoxide poisoning, while seven other workers were taken to the hospital for treatment. Kalosha tested the facility and found that the workers were exposed to CO levels which exceeded the safety limit. Kalosha issued citations to both Barrett Business Services and L&L Foods for numerous safety violations. Both employers filed appeals protesting the citations, but L&L Foods settled its case in 2013. Years later, an administrative law judge last April denied Barrett's appeal and imposed total civil penalties of more than $80,000. Barrett objected and filed a petition for reconsideration. But the board found that the employer did not properly train its employees, disregarded workers' reports of health hazards, and failed to monitor the worksite. The evidence revealed that L&L Foods had sealed all of the vents at the facility to prevent vermin from entering. The citations issued included three violations for one general, one willful general, and one willful serious category violation. And in medical news, Europe's medicines regulator has recommended the suspension of more than 300 generic drug approvals and drug applications due to unreliable tests 
conducted by a contract research firm known as Microtherapeutic Research Labs. The decision is the latest blow for India's drug testing industry, which has run into a series of problems with international regulators in recent years. A contract research organization, also known as a CRO, provides support to the pharmaceutical, biotechnology, and medical device industries in the form of research services outsourced on a contract basis. CROs range from large international full-service organizations to small niche specialty groups. The EMA said the European officials have been investigating microtherapeutics after Austrian and Dutch authorities raised concerns last year. The agency said inspections identified several concerns at the company's sites regarding misrepresentation of study data and deficiencies in documentation and data handling. However, there is no evidence of harm or lack of effectiveness of the medicines, which include generic versions of many common prescription pharmaceuticals. The EMA's recommendation on the suspension of the medicines tested by Microtherapeutic will now be sent to the European Commission for a legally binding decision valid throughout the European Union. Drug tests carried out at the Indian contract research organizations have been key in getting a huge array of generic medicines approved for sale around the world for many years. In 2015, Europe banned around 700 medicines that had been approved based on clinical trial data provided by GVK Biosciences, then India's largest CRO. Other smaller Indian CROs have also been found to have fallen short of required standards. In the wake of such trial data scandals, many large drug makers have been shifting more critical trials back to the United States and Europe over the last three years. According to a 2016 Workers' Compensation Benchmarking Study Survey, National claims leaders rank psychosocial issues as the number one barrier to successful claim outcomes. A new white paper shows how the Hartford, CNA, Nationwide, and Albertsons companies are taming the effects of psychosocial issues and coaching injured workers to recovery and claim resolution. In order to understand these findings, it's important to take a brief look at what the term psychosocial is and, perhaps more importantly, what it is not. The psych part of the word does not mean psychiatric issues such as schizophrenia, personality disorders, or major depressive disorders. Instead, the term refers to behavioral issues, the way people think, feel, and act. Examples include a fear of physical movement to avoid pain or additional injury and fear of judgment by coworkers. The Hartford's text mining has found the presence of the word fear in claims notes was more predictive of poor outcomes than a lumbar fusion surgery. Similar findings were recently cited both by Lockton and the Workers' Compensation Research Institute which independently report that workers who express fear are at greater risk of poor outcomes. 
and there is no shortage of studies demonstrating the dramatic impact of psychosocial roadblocks and just how hard they are to manage. Lockton's study directly links workers' fears with high litigation rates. Another from the Journal of Occupation and Environmental Medicine found that injured workers with emotional distress, such as pain catastrophizing and activity avoidance, were seven times less likely to return to work within three months. Other conditions, behaviors, and predicaments include obesity, hard feelings about co-workers, troubled home life, and lack of temporary modified work assignments, limited English proficiency, and, most commonly noted, poor coping skills. Additionally, being out of work can lead to problems such as increased smoking, alcohol abuse, illicit drug use, and risky sexual behavior. The National Medical Director for Albertson's Companies uses a modified Linton tool for screening injured workers for psychosocial comorbidities. Approximately 9% of screened workers receive specialist intervention, which is usually performed by a network of psychologists who provide coaching consistent with cognitive behavioral therapy principles. This intervention method is short in duration and focuses on active problem-solving with the patient. Albertson's medical director cautions that it will take three or four years before the strategy's impact can be effectively measured in claim outcomes, but she is very optimistic. Her tentative estimate is that the duration of disability and medical spending will decline by 20%. And with that story, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd, Scarron and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.